Hey, folks. Welcome to The Electables. I'm Doug Thornell. I'm joined by my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod, who is back from New Hampshire. Adrian, how you doing? Hi, hi. I'm well. I'm, I'm a little tired, but I'm pretty fired up and glad to have, have the first primary and, and the first caucus out of the way and excited to see where the field is going and what's coming up in the next few weeks. So there's so much to talk about and so much to uh, really consider right now, I think, going forward. We have a special guest uh, with us today, a returning guest, our friend Karen Hicks. Karen is the CEO of Civic Strategy Group and is the, uh, in my estimation, the best strategist, uh, one of the best strategists, uh, if not the best strategist in New Hampshire, um, and knows the state inside out, uh, has run, uh, has won uh, races there up and down the ballot. And so great to have Karen back on the show to help us dive into the results from last night. So, hey, Karen, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Now that the circus has left town, we can all have room to breathe and swing a cat without uh, knocking into a candidate or a canvasser. And so I'm, I'm glad to be here as the circus leaves town. <laughs> well, Karen, we are, so, we are so glad to have you. And I just want to start off by asking you just in general, like, what are your thoughts about last night? How do you feel uh, the race went? Were you impressed by the turnout? Were you surprised by... Um, you know, the vote. I'm just curious to get your overall thoughts. Yeah, I think there's a lot to dig into. The The turnout was high. It surpassed um, 2016 uh, records, which, you know, was a record at the time. And so it narrowly, uh, we beat our, our record there for turnout. And so that's a great sign about how fired up Democrats are. Uh, in terms mm-hmm. of the overall results, I think, you know, there were not that many surprises. There were a couple. I think everybody expected Senator Sanders to to win. Um, he had he won in 16 with close to 60% of the vote, and so obviously wasn't anywhere close to that. Um, and then Pete Buttigieg, I think, really made some moves late in the state to secure that super close second place finish. And then Amy Klobuchar was really the um, candidate with the with the momentum in the last three or four days uh, leading into the primary. Boy. And so I think, you know, that surprised some people. It didn't surprise me. I think a lot of my, um, a lot of my social network made the decision late for her. Uh, and then, you know, the other story is how poorly Biden fare, fared here, as well as Elizabeth Warren having um, what I think was a disappointing finish for her supporters. Yeah, there, yeah I there was are- really... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say I I was I was really impressed by Amy and and Karen. I want to get your thoughts. You know, traditionally it seems that New Hampshire likes candidates from neighboring states. Amy, of course, is not. I'm curious, like, what do you think New Hampshire voters, primary voters, were so compelled by when it comes to Amy Klobuchar and her her candidacy? I have never seen an electorate in the primary that was so undecided so late and and people you know the exit polls uh, showed that like half the electorate going into the final weekend was undecided they all decided in the last couple of days and you know that is typical amongst voters but the activists really held back this year and made their decisions very very late 
And I think part of what contributed to that is that people really felt the weight of the decision. They're so uh, fixated on beating Donald Trump. And it wasn't a question about who you think is going to be the best president. I think the first question is who can beat Donald Trump? Then a distant second was how do you think they're going to be as president? And so that is really a strange place for voters. It feels like we have a state of pundits up here. And so I turned myself (laughs) inside out and trying to make the decision. And at the end of the day, I was like, I, I just don't know what the answer to that first question is. It's going to be, it's too hard to work all the angles on it. And I'm just going to vote for who I think um, would be the best president. And I, I feel like so many people were um, trying to figure out a four bounce bank shot to make their decision. And Amy Klobuchar made a very convincing case about her ability to win elections. And so I think New Hampshire is a, a place that really likes women and leadership. We have um, Jean Shaheen and Maggie Hassan, um, two of the only people in the country who have ever been both governor and U.S. senator. Uh, we have um, Annie Custer, who is our member of Congress from the 2nd Congressional District. And so this is a place that likes female leaders. And so I think that she leaned into that. She Every time she would open her mouth in the state, she was hugging Jean Shaheen and Maggie Hassan both and really emulates their style of politics, which are um, – you know, their political orientation is is attractive to purple states. And so I think she really pressed that case, really pressed the case that she could actually get things done. And, you know, I think it it paid dividends for her. You know, you're so right about the late deciders. Uh, you mentioned almost half the electorate decided within the last few days. In 2016, it was only it was only a quarter, 25 percent. So you know, a lot more this time around who were um, making their decisions based off of the most like sort of real time information and, and uh, facts that they could uh, that they could use. Um, I I wanted to uh, ask you, Karen, um, we hear a lot of talk. We heard a lot of talk about people's ground games and their their state operations for months. Right. We heard a lot mm-hmm. of talk about Elizabeth Warren's operation in New Hampshire. We've, we, we heard, um, you know, talk about Bernie's. Um, at the end of the day, how much, how much did those operations make a difference versus how much did folks just tune in the last week of the campaign, saw the debate, and, you know, it looks like half folks made a decision. Um, I'm just curious because we talk so much about each, you know, some of these campaigns ground game. And I'm just curious to get your thoughts on how important do you think it was on, on actual election day? Well, first of all, you know that this is near and dear to my heart, putting together a good organization that can yep. uh, reach people, have person to person conversations. I think it's really, really important. And Despite it being really important, it is still secondary to the quality of the candidate and the case that they're making directly through their performance and debates through, um, you know, we had, uh, I think over in the last 10 days, there were well over 200 events where, you know, upwards of 30 or 40,000 Granite Staters got out to see these candidates in their, in their neighborhoods firsthand. And so I think that in 
an election like this, uh, there was more activity on the ground across all of the campaigns than I've really ever seen. I was driving to my house in the weekend um, leading up to the election, and I passed six Canvas teams in two blocks. So I, you know, talked to all of them. They were all, you know, they they were bumping into each other on the street. And so different campaigns. I think that yes, different six campaigns. different campaigns. So, wow. Okay. Yes. Yes. And so they they worked this, but I think. You know, and they had what they reported. I talked to a lot of people who went out and canvassed for their candidate. They reported having lots of good, high-quality conversations. But, you know, it's hard to say that I think out of the campaigns that I saw, I think Elizabeth Warren had a really, really strong ground game, but obviously did not was not sufficient to lift her up. And, you know, my take on having a really good organization is that it, it's never enough to take you from the middle of the pack to the top. What it can do is help you capitalize on a moment, any spark of, of starting momentum, having an organization can really help mean that it's not what uh, Kamala Harris uh, experienced when she had her moment in a debate, but Amy Klobuchar had enough of, a, of an organization that she could take advantage of that debate moment. Um, so it can help you it can be the wind in your sails. It's the sail that actually helps you translate that wind into votes. And it can be a safety net if the bottom starts to fall out. And so uh, in 2003, when Doug, you and I were both working on the Dean campaign, um, our, our organization was really a safety net after his disappointing finish in Iowa and the scream. It wasn't enough to propel him over John Kerry after that disappointing finish. But it it stopped the bottom from completely falling out, and it helped yep. him live to fight another day. Yep, that's right. Yeah, Karen and glad and Doug, I'm glad you phrased the question the way that you phrased because I think Karen just really explained effectively that you can work for a year to have a really solid ground game. You can collect all this data from, um, you know, your supporters, which of course Elizabeth Warren has been, you know notoriously known to do when people are waiting in those long selfie lines, they're actually getting, you know, the campaign staff are extracting a lot of data from them to try to determine what their views are, what drives them, what motivates them, um, et cetera. But um, you can try and work so hard to try to have this grounding game, but then you can have like a really great moment like Amy Klobuchar on the debate stage, had on the debate stage, and then you can combine that with the fact that a lot of people didn't have um, their mind made up a couple days before the election, and all of a sudden you have this like, perfect, you know, trifecta of, of, of events coming together that can propel your candidacy. And that's, again, what we saw with Amy Klobuchar. But I want to talk a little bit about Bernie Sanders because, yes, he won last night. A win is a win. I'm not going to take that away from him. But he did underperform in some key areas. Um, I was getting text messages from a bunch of different campaigns who were um, sort of sharing their data with me because I was on air and they were making it clear that while, yes, Bernie Sanders is, is going to win tonight, he is underperforming in some of those college towns. Can you sort of talk about that and maybe what, I don't know, what, what you know, some reasons why that may have happened? Yeah, I think he did underperform. You know, he was close to half of the support that he had in, in uh, 2016. Now, obviously, in a, what was largely a two-person race against Hillary Clinton, 
he was not going to hold on to to the support that he had there. But you would think that he would be able to capitalize a little bit more on the organization and the relationships that he had built um, to have a stronger finish. I mean, he barely, barely beat Buttigieg. And so I think that if you dig into the performance, he lost um, three counties in the state and he lost... um, he lost in areas that I would think would be troubling for his um, his campaign going forward. He he um, underperformed in some of those college towns. He underperformed in um, rural areas and suburban areas. And we know that as we start to really turn our attention and think about the work that the Democrats need to do to win in places like Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, and Pennsylvania, the one of the key demographics are suburban women. And if I were his campaign and the voters, you know, as they consider who's going to be the strongest standard bearer against Donald Trump, we have to keep our eye on those key demographics. And those are demographics that are in addition to the obvious work that we need to do to to really have record turnout among African Americans um, and Latinos, that goes without saying that that is the backbone and the bedrock of the Democratic Party. And so there's no question that we need a candidate that can energize um, those communities, but also win their fair share of those persuadable voters. And so if I were Fash Shakir and some of the other strategists around the Sanders campaign, I would be looking um, at the results here in New Hampshire, and I would be nervous, honestly. Yeah. um, You know, Bernie is the declared winner, but, you know, uh, this is also a battle. We also have, we, we, we always have to remind folks that this is a battle for delegates. And in fact, Bernie and Pete won the same number of delegates. Each one of them each got nine delegates coming out of New Hampshire. Amy Klobuchar got six. And they were the only three people who were viable in the state. Um, No one else won delegates. Um, What is your just what's your sense of what happened to Elizabeth Warren's campaign? Um, You know, she was a front runner um, for. Uh, quite some time. Um, yes. And in, in New Hampshire, I mean, they, she, she, you know, she has a, you know, New Hampshire has a, the Boston media market. It, and, you know, you would think that she would be a known commodity there since she's run for, you know, one run competitive races in her own state of Massachusetts. But I'm just curious, what do you think happened? Um, clearly you mentioned she had a really good organization. Um, you know, but, Something happened in the last couple months, and I'm just curious if you have some thoughts on what you heard from people in New Hampshire on why they moved away from her. Yeah, well, you know, we have a we have a strange relationship with Massachusetts, and and we, you know, many people in the state fondly refer to people from Massachusetts as mass holes, and we're not too kind <laughs> to them all the time. Um, John Kerry, I think, had the most miserable campaigning moments of his life leading up to that 2003 primary, and so. I think it's a it's a complicated thing that always doesn't always translate into into a real advantage. And so and you know, she had some she had some tough treatment from the globe, which has decent uh number of readers in, in the state. So but I think fundamentally, um they the campaign made a calculation about 
um, competing with Bernie for the progressive uh, segment of the party. And I think that she, in fact, peeled off a lot of people that were probably with Bernie in in the last election against Clinton because they didn't love Clinton. And so I think she, you know, got her fair share of those. And once she got that, you know, you we weren't going to, he, he's not going to go much below 25% on, on the people that support him. He's got very, very committed supporters. And that's a dynamic that I think, in addition to people making up their mind late, they also had a very um, uh, fragile attachment to their candidates. I think there was a lot of churn, people changing their mind, even if they felt like they had made it up. So that didn't happen with Bernie supporters. His folks were really with him um, out of the gate and stayed with him. And I think Warren you know, the, the moment that I, um, that comes to mind is there was a group of women who were desperate to really support a woman who met with her and honestly were really worried about, you know, her ability to win moderate voters. And, and much of the conversation really centered on her position on Medicare for all. So we all know the debate where she raised her hand and said, you know, I support government run health care. And I don't think that that surprised anybody, but what did surprise people is when she really doubled down on it and came back with that gigantic tax plan to pay for it. And so I think that there was a way in which she could have said, yes, of course, I'm for Medicare for all, but I'm also for a buy-in for people at 55 years old and a public option. And these are things that have broad popular support that we could do immediately as we work towards the goals of of Medicare for all. And instead, I think she really sort of attached herself firmly to that lane and it just limited the potential for her to grow her vote in the middle part of the party, which in a state like New Hampshire is a big percentage of where people are. And so I think that's, I really chalk it up to that. And she just didn't have sufficient room to to build out her base in that area, despite running what I think is a very good campaign. People were clear about what she um, she stands for. She did a very good job communicating that. She obviously has a plan for everything under the sun, and she had a good organization. And so at the end of the day, when all of those things are going right, you just have to reach the conclusion that the voters did not like what she was selling. So, Karen, I want to um, kind of slightly pivot away from a little bit from New Hampshire right now and just use your overall Democratic strategist mind here. So, and, and I was sort of bounce the theory off you and, and tell you and, and hear from you what you think, um, what your thoughts are. But knowing that Warren is kind of, you know, underperformed and certainly Biden is, is not doing great and who knows how much longer he'll be in the race, if he'll even make it to South Carolina. Seeing the surge that we're seeing at this current moment with um, Mayor Pete and with Amy Klobuchar, but of course also knowing that they have a limited capacity at this point to attract African-American voters, which are essentially the linchpin of the Democratic Party. I have to think that there's a real likely scenario after Super Tuesday that this race becomes uh, between Bernie Sanders and Mike Bloomberg. But I also have to think that there's going to be somebody, even if maybe they're, they're not their delegate count isn't quite where uh, Bloomberg and Bernie's is, but there's got to be another alternative offered in this race. I don't see everybody, I guess my, my point is, I don't see um, the entire field dropping out after Super Tuesday because I have to think that 
someone who's been a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat their entire life, somebody who is more of a, like a traditional mainstream Democrat, um, is still in this race. And I want to get your thoughts on that and who, if number one, if you agree with that theory, and number two, if you think, who you think might still be able to hang on. And, you know, sometimes I think maybe that person is Elizabeth Warren, but just because she obviously didn't do well in New Hampshire, which she should have done well in, but if she has the grassroots network that can sustain her through the next few weeks and she can perform somewhat well on Super Tuesday, on Super Tuesday, then she might be viable going forward. But I'd like to get your thoughts on just kind of what you think about all that. Well, I think, you know, as everyone knows, these early contests are not really about the delegates, right? It's, it's, it's such a handful in Iowa, New Hampshire, even Nevada and South Carolina. And then the, the real delegate uh, contest is, is Super Tuesday to begin with. Um, I think, as we all know who've worked on campaigns, once you get behind in that delegate race, it is incredibly difficult to make it up, especially you know, when there's places like Texas and California voting early. So I worry about how long it's going to take to consolidate, um, you know, right now in, in, you know, the middle, the moderate lane of the party, we have uh, Klobuchar and Buttigieg battling it out, Elizabeth Warren sort of between Bernie and the, the moderates. And, you know, I don't think the electorate always breaks down around ideological lines because despite having a very robust debate within our party about the position on things like Medicare for all and the Green New Deal and um, you know some of the historic votes that we always fight about the Iraq war and such um, I don't think that voters are they want to see that the candidates have plans on those things but mostly I think we all share this desire to really beat Donald Trump and and I think that what I fear is that people um, are attracted to Bernie because he's he's passionate and articulate on these things, and then realize very late that it's hard to stop him once he has racked up enough enough delegates. And so, on Bloomberg, you know, this is the <laughs> somebody always makes a run at trying to skip these early states, and they generally just see themselves written out of the story because for, you know, the better part of 45 days, the story is about these early contests. Now, no one has spent, you know, a billion dollars to do that. And, and we're all looking at these national polls that see him really um, eating up the real estate that Biden had and um, starting to, to make headway there. So I think anything is possible. And I think that, um, in California, where they're already voting, um, you know, I can't imagine having cast my ballot three weeks ago when the race was totally different. But, you know, people are <laughs> going to have to start Seriously. making up their minds about this. And it's still a very, very live contest. I've never seen anything like what Bloomberg is putting together. And it's not that he doesn't have real problems. All of them have real problems to overcome in their in their campaigns, but he's assembling a team that is formidable and spending the kind of resources that, you know, people just have to take him seriously. So I think that we could see a pretty drawn out contest. Um, and 
Does it go down to the convention? I don't know. We don't have anything in our lifetime of, of a fight like that. There's very few people in the party who would even know what a brokered convention looks like. Um, but I think it's, it's, we're going to have a real battle over the next couple of months as this, as this thing unfolds. And I think that, um, we will probably see some folks drop out after the next contest. Um, but I think if you're an Elizabeth Warren, if you're a Pete Buttigieg, if you're Amy Klobuchar, there's no real reason to drop out until, um, you know, if at all, but certainly after Super Tuesday, the money just starts to dry up and you can't even get around the country anymore. So, but at that right. point, if, if Sanders has a big lead, I think it's very hard to catch him. You know, one of the things that I think was interesting about the uh, exit polling uh, for New Hampshire uh, is when you look at the de- when you look at age demographics. Um, Bernie did exceptionally well with young young voters, 18 to 29. Uh, those folks made up, I think, about 13 percent of the electorate. He also did well for the 30 to 44 group. But the largest group of the uh, the largest electorate was were folks over 45, and that you know right. those, and Amy Klobuchar did well. Yeah, and and that was um, you know 65 percent of the electorate. And Bernie really didn't do too well with those folks. You know, it was you know Buttigieg did well. You had Klobuchar do uh, do well as well. So, um, and I just wanted to get your thoughts. I mean, you know, look, I give a lot of credit to the Sanders campaign and, you know, for, you know, for, for rebounding after the the heart attack and people were writing him off after that. But, you know, I think if you are, you know, if you are his team and you're looking at these numbers, um, you you gotta, I mean, this isn't sort of a worrying sign because, you know, these are all, these are people who vote, right? And so I'm just curious, what do you think is the, the, the we talk a lot about his popularity with young voters. What what do you think his pro, his problem is with older voters? Well, I think older voters are going to be more sensitive to pocketbook issues. They're going to listen to his plans um, around you know the radical change that he wants to see in the country around changing the healthcare system, uh, progressive taxes, and I think that they're just generally more suspicious and a little more conservative on those things. And so I think he really benefits from this big field because I think that he, similar in many ways to Donald Trump, and Donald Trump said this yesterday, is he's got followers. He's got people who are really passionate about him in particular um, and may not go for another candidate. And so I don't think he has to worry at all about losing them. Um, his real challenge is how do you start to to add? And if it were a two-person race, I think he would be in trouble because of some of those demographic, um, uh, the skepticism among some of those demographic blocks that, that you have pointed out. And so I think that, you know, that's a real uh, challenge for, for the campaign. And, and he is who he is. And so he's not, you know, I think the ability to, for him to sort of pivot um, and and appeal to some of those those different groups that would really take a change in both tone and substance. I don't see that happening. I mean, I, I think he's very set in his ways. Well, it was quite a night. Um, I think that uh, you know the real interesting thing is going to be how does Amy Klobuchar, how does Pete Buttigieg, how do they? Um, you know, turn all, turn this momentum into votes 
on, um, you know, at the Nevada caucus and then at the South Carolina primary. Um, because, you know, there have been stories in the past, John Kasich in 2016 winning the primary and then not really being able to take advantage of it. So it's going to be really interesting to see how um, those two in particular uh, translate uh, their their great showing last night into um, votes in some of these or in, in some of these states that are coming up that are just more diverse, um, more people of color, uh, a lot different than New Hampshire and Iowa. So, yeah, and a different amount of time to get get to know absolutely. Them. So I think I think the other thing that we're going to see is an unbelievable oppo dump. <laughs> that, oh you know, my god! These, these can candidates are not vetted in the way that. You know, we've seen in previous cycles where we I think we saw one with Bloomberg today with or yesterday with that audio of uh, him talking about stop and frisk. Yes. Yes. And so that's it's going to be time to take out the trash. These other campaigns are going to try to get that out there. And and that'll be a different wild card as well as, you know, a shorter time period where voters don't have the chance that they had in these early states to really see them up close and personal and. It's going to be a wild ride. Elrod, you got anything else for Karen? No, Karen, we always appreciate your insights um, as a campaign veteran and somebody who has spent a lot of time um, organizing in New Hampshire and across the country. We, we really appreciate your insights. And I don't know, I kind of feel like we came out of New Hampshire with more questions than answers, but that's <laughs> what we love about the process, right? We're all kind of political junkies in our own way, and this is, uh, this is fun stuff for us. So... Thank you At so least much we could count joining. the votes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. I, prayers that the Nevada caucuses go much better than Iowa. I mean, I don't Fingers think crossed. Much worse. Fingers crossed. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Karen, you're the best. Thanks so much. Um, All right. For my, for my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod, this is Doug Thornell, and this has been The Electables, and we will catch you next time. Okay, thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks.